0: Welcome to this edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak, asking you to continue to keep Dave and Faith Matthews from American Pride Roasters Coffee in your prayers as they continue to recover from a devastating tornado that took everything from them last month there in Des Moines, Iowa. When they are back up on their feet, we will be sure to let you know that they're open for business. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Jim Verdi is a longtime radio professional who today is the senior producer for the Dan Bongino show. Jim grew up in New York City, but he spent the majority of his life in Texas. Two completely different worlds, and he's experienced them both. Here in Texas, he's become a barbecue aficionado. And, oh, I did compel him to juggle here in the studio the way I did with uh, previous ATM guest, Chef Andrew Gruel, back in episode 68. (laughs) So, that's always a lot of fun. Uh, Without further delay, here's the life story of Jim Verde on At The Mic. A fellow radio guy. Yes, sir. I can't wait to get into your story. You have been in the business. You've seen a lot, and we're going to have fun talking about uh, all that good stuff here. But thanks for coming in, man. I appreciate it. I
1: appreciate you having me. This is great. Beautiful place, beautiful setup.
0: Absolutely. Well, um, I can't take any credit for it, but uh, (laughs) uh, I'm happy to work here. Okay, so you were born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. I was. Your childhood is going to be 180 degrees different than mine growing up in the South. okay? Okay. But we both ended up in the radio business. Right. So before we get to your radio story... Tell me how is it growing up in the middle of such a gigantic city did you and i know the answer to a degree i was going to say did you drive anywhere because there's a traumatic story from your childhood that that involves a vehicle that i want to oh, talk yeah. about yeah, you know what i'm saying <laughs> yes but but <laughs> but how is it
1: i mean did you walk everywhere how, how was childhood yeah no you pretty much had to walk everywhere and especially as a little kid or i'm on uh on bicycle yeah a lot. yeah okay so I, I could take my bike. We lived it was close to the Flatbush area of Brooklyn and I could ride my bike all around Brooklyn. And of course, you're thinking in New York City and New York City was crap at that time. We're talking the mid to late 70s. It's like
0: it seems like it's gone full circle. now. Yeah, it is, it is <laughs> coming full
1: circle. Yes. because
0: I mean, I lived up there in New Jersey and commuted to Manhattan every day working with Glenn back from 2009 to 2012. And I i didn't like the city just because i'm not a big city guy Mm -hmm. but compared to what i hear about and see and read about now as in compared to 10 years ago yeah it's night and day
1: the trash the graffiti
0: but but at the
1: same time i didn't know anything different i just thought the way that's the way things were Mm -hmm. and the one thing that i always took away from it was it gave you like a spider sense you're always aware of everything going on around <laughs> you great at all point. time.
0: Yeah. It's street smarts. <laughs> yeah. And
1: it's, it's like another sense. It really is like another sense. And my kids today, they don't have that. They grew up in flower mound, Texas. So yeah, it's yeah. like, you know, they don't know that. And my daughter, uh, we just moved her down to Austin. And so, you know, Austin right now is not exactly in the best of shape. So yeah. she's going to have to develop that. And I'm, a little worried about that as a dad (laughs) would be Um, my son's down there already. They live close. So that's one, one good thing, but back, you know, getting back to Brooklyn, like for example, I can remember, I went to high school on the lower East side of Manhattan. So for me to go to high school, uh, I leave my house. I walk about a mile to the subway station, get on the subway. It's about a 30 minute ride into the city. When I get off my stop, which is 2nd Street and 2nd Avenue. My high school was Lasalle Academy, Catholic school. Um, I get out, I know my train is on time because there's a homeless guy like clockwork that would come around Houston Street, <laughs> put his drum down at 2nd Avenue and 1st Street, play a little solo and then run uptown. If I saw that guy, I knew my train was on time every day. It was He was like a clock. <laughs> so I go in, I change into my track gear And I go run to the Brooklyn Bridge and run over the Brooklyn Bridge every morning. Wow. To get there, you got to go past Delancey Street where all the hookers were and all the needles in the street. (laughs) If I went the other way, up 2nd Avenue, that's where all the loan shark businesses were. Okay. I remember one time distinctly... I'm just running by and everything seems cool and normal. I see two guys talking to another guy. The next thing I know is one of them's got him by his throat up against the wall and they start screaming at him and you're just running by. It's like, uh-huh. no big deal. This it's like, like, another
0: day in New York City. <laughs> yes. <right? laughs>
1: so, yeah, it was, uh, but like I said, you don't know any better. Yeah, sure. And people, it's funny to me when people, say, oh, the big city, you know, it's like the big city to me. Even when I go back there now, it's still kind of a small town because Mm -hmm. growing up, it was very family oriented. You had everybody, you knew everybody on the block, you knew all all their parents. Their parents watched you, and they were always watching you, and they'd tell your parents, or if they had to handle it themselves, they'd handle it themselves with (laughs) our parents' permission. (laughs) So I mean, it it was kind of small townish in that way. So do
0: you miss it at all? Oh. Because now you yeah, live... I mean, Flower Mound is, you know, suburb of suburbs here in Dallas-Fort Worth.
1: Yeah, no, I I miss it tremendously. Hmm. I love it. I still think it's the greatest city in the world. I could never live there again in a million years. I, I just couldn't do it.
0: Yeah. There's no way.
1: Yeah. I had my best friend since I was six years old had just come down here a couple of weeks ago, and he... Just said to me as we're driving around, he goes, this is just too nice. He he says, you can never leave here. I'm like,
0: (laughs) so you grew up with two siblings, a brother and a sister, both younger than you. Right. Here's my mindset. You talk about how it was rough, right? Right. You talk about your daughter down in Austin and every dad would be just panicking around the clock just by the fact that their daughter has moved away and is now in a city. Of any kind, right, you know? Right. So here's my question. Did you guys have to stick together whenever you went somewhere? Because the mindset today, at least speaking, I've got three children, mm-hmm. and when they would leave the house and go and hang out in the neighborhood, I really wanted them to stick together, and it was, you know, like you said, it was the suburbs, you know? Right, right. I don't know if it's if my mindset is a product of the times we're living in, but it sounds like you guys grew up in, you know, a rough area, or, or at least, at least you just, you described, you know, it was a, the, city yeah, was... the
1: city itself was rough. Okay. The city itself was bad. I didn't, I mean, we weren't affluent at all, sure. you know, by any stretch. My dad was a, definitely a, uh my dad, you know, he had a real, real tough childhood. His dad died when he was 12. He grew up on the streets, yeah. you know, he didn't even live with his mom. Wow. Literally grew up on the streets. Um, <laughs> in fact, my, my dad's area... Uh, was Sheepshead Bay, Coney Island, I- in that area. And uh, like, he knew people from The Freak Show. Um, <laughs> and he he always used to tell me he'd play cards with Jojo the dog face boy. And I'm like, really? I said, so did he have a face like a dog? He's going, no, he's just really ugly. That's it. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So, but, um, so the area we wound up moving to was very melting pot, uh-huh. very mixed, um, like, my you had my church was which was a catholic church close to the protestant church and then you had a yeshiva school uh real the hasidic jews were uh prominent in the area it was just a melting pot the, the of definition people. of melting yes, pot it was sure so it i found that to be a great experience to grow up okay
0: in. but i mean were you at all nervous when you would, would roam far from home and, nope. and run over the Brooklyn Bridge nope. or whatever? Okay. Never even thought twice about right, it. Right, <laughs> right. So that's what I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to figure out, is it our geography that makes us so nervous for our kids? Or maybe it's just the fact we're parents now.
1: It's just the fact that we're parents yeah, now. That's yeah. the whole thing. I got you. And I'm not, like I said, my son is down there too. He's four years older than her. I'm, you know, he's gonna look out for her, so I'm not worried about it. My son's been out of the house since he was 19. He just took off and went to, went to Denver. He just I'm like, out. I gotta, yeah, which is good, and he's yeah. had a lot of great experiences. That's and, really cool. Yeah,
0: it's really cool to see see your kids develop their own interests and uh, fine tune their talents. Right. So I'm I'm right there with you because I'm I'm a father of three teenagers myself. Uh, and fun, fun. <laughs> yeah right but your kids
1: are in their 20s now is that right um yes okay. my daughter just turned 20 my oh, son's 24
0: all right go back to your childhood we're gonna we're gonna still hang out in there for right. a while okay jim and you had a traumatic auto accident involving a drunk <laughs> driver like th- this is what you listed as your earliest memory yes crawling through the door of your overturned vehicle <laughs> yes my goodness what
1: happened so my grandparents. it's funny you talked about Growing up in the South, too, because I kind of had a dual childhood. My grandparents lived in Hampton, Virginia. Okay. So we would go down to Virginia every summer and every Christmas. So I got the best of both worlds. I learned both worlds, you know. So this was on a trip to Virginia. I think I may have been two, maybe three. Yeah. I can't exactly remember. And uh, I guess we were driving down. I think it was going through either Delaware or Maryland. And there was a drunk driver that ran my dad off the road into a ditch, oh. and the car was literally on its side, oh. laying in you know on its side. So it was uh, my grandmother and me in the back seat. Ironically, you know, no seatbelts. Yeah, nobody was right? wearing seatbelts. Right. <laughs> so, so true. So I guess it was my dad over the top who opens the top of the door, and then he pulls me out, and then they're helping my grandmother out and the cops come and they investigate everything and of course back in the day driver the drunk driver doesn't get in trouble because the cop is like no he's the town drunk i mean that's not it's not surprising to him it's like my dad's like okay well we kind of got a problem here Uh okay we'll get it taken care of that's just the memory that i have so i don't know how it got resolved ever uh Uh, I'm, i'm sure we made it to virginia somehow or else they towed the the car out of the ditch and oh, it was still able man. to work you know God. i don't know but all I, okay? all I have in my head is that picture of being pulled out of the top yeah, of the that's, like that. that's incredible
0: is everybody okay from that oh or? yeah every, okay. everybody was fine wow Thank miraculously goodness. no enough. kidding my goodness uh <laughs> so you remember what, what year were you born 65 well, wait so uh Was it 69? Yes. Is that when Sesame Street uh, started? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. So you remember the first episode watching it, huh?
1: I remember our parents made a big deal of sitting me and my brother. He's about a year and a half uh, younger than me in front of the TV in anticipation for the show. (laughs) And that's, yeah, that was... uh, that was another of the earliest memories. It's one of the two of those. That's really good. Cool. It wasn't the moon landing, no. It was the first episode of Sesame. Street. It wasn't the Mets winning the World Series in '69.
0: That's right,
1: Miracle Mets. Yeah. It was Sesame Street. It was Sesame Street. Okay.
0: I mean, that's a boy. That's a big year for America. Woodstock. Yeah, I was, about, I was just about to say that. I was just about to say Woodstock, moon landing, Sesame Street, and the amazing Mets mm-hmm. uh, with that comeback in you know September. Okay, so now now I'm confused. You're born and raised up in New York. Mm-hmm. Grandparents Virginia. Mm-hmm. How did Jim Verde get to Dallas, Texas?
1: Okay, so my dad, <laughs> uh, he was out of work for a while, and he went to work for a company called NEC. It's I don't think it's in existence anymore. It may have been bought, you know, with all these conglomerations sure. that have been built. And he got that job, and he basically worked in Japan for almost two years. Oh wow! Yeah. So, finally, they uh, said, well, we want you back in the States, but we're, we want you to work at our office in uh, Irving, Texas. <laughs> so, it's like, okay. Which so is where we
0: are sitting it, right now. It, exactly.
1: <laughs> and actually, where we're sitting right now, this was nothing. There uh-huh. was, when I moved out here, um, I mean, you're familiar with the area, but Beltline Road was a two-lane road. Wow. Pretty much. Okay. and Because um,
0: this studio was <clears> built <throat> in the early 80s. Mm-hmm.
1: And you moved here When? in 81 okay there june 21st 81 nice i still have the new york daily news from that day wow
0: that's <laughs> cool man i love i love collecting old newspapers actually mm-hmm. yeah uh and kids if you're not familiar newspapers are with, <laughs> well never mind so you guys end up here and you go to ut arlington yes. here in town mm-hmm. and that's where you studied communications yes had you known your entire life you wanted to be in radio, or was this something that hit you along the way? Or
1: no, when I was when I grew up, and I'm, this is an advice I think I'd like to give to kids: it's like sure. your first inclination when you're a kid, go with that, and you'll be happy. Man. I wanted to be an archaeologist or a paleontologist. I was into dinosaurs and you know bones and cultures and things like that. Um, and then when I went to college, I actually was considering that. And then it was like, okay, if I can't play center field for the Mets, I can do play-by-play. Play. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I'm going to go major in communication. This literally is my life. If
0: I can't play for the Braves, I want to announce the Braves. And if I can't announce the Braves, you know, yeah, this is absolutely. I got into radio. Yeah, but I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's,
1: yeah. that's the way. I went to school, and it's almost accidental how I wound up where I'm at right now. It's funny. I don't know if you want to get into that yet. Well,
0: yeah, so you go to school for it. Mm Mm-hmm. But... um, And when when did you... Did you... So did you know before you started taking classes, this is what I want to do, this business?
1: Uh, You know, I really had no idea. Mm -hmm. I I think I was taking it to see if maybe I would decide on something else, but um, that's not necessarily how it went. I think I enjoyed the classes. I think once I got into the communications classes, uh, I really liked what was going, going on in it, what they were teaching. And I'd always had a love for radio Mm -hmm. and music and, you know, the DJs growing up, my favorite station as a kid was WPLJ. And, um, I listened to Pat St. John, you know, on there. And then, uh, what, uh, Oh God, what, what was it? can't remember. The one Jay Thomas was on. It was ABC or NBC. I can't remember. You know, and my parents listened to him every morning. So I liked it. It appealed to me, but I never really, even when I was going to school for it, I never really still thought about doing it. You know, I didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. I was just a dumb, dumb kid. I didn't know <laughs> what the heck I was going to do. Right, right,
0: right. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, and, and by the way, w- what we haven't said to this point is that you're the senior producer for the Dan Bongino show. Yes. Okay. And, and you describe stuff, I mean... This is what us producers do right here to a T. I mean, I ask, you know, list your duties here. You know, it's organize content, check, book guests, write imaging, which is, you know, the promos, stuff like that, uh, create bits, the funny stuff, work with affiliates to promote the show, work with sales. Aren't those treats when you're working with sales? <laughs> yes. Sorry. I need uh, an air check. <laughs> <laughs> and, okay. So can we just, uh, l- l- let, me, let me take a moment here and you jump in at any point, but- The eternal struggle in radio is people like you and me trying to be creative. And then there's people in sales who just want to make money. And you're trying to explain to them, in order to do that, you got to do this first. But it's like chicken and the egg. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. We pay the bills around here. Anyway, it's it's, it's eternal struggle.
1: No, you're exactly right. (laughs) And, uh, you know, actually, in setting up uh, the Bongino show... Uh, and trying to figure out the format—that's what we were having conflict with a little bit. Not uh-huh. not Dan or anything, but it's just like, even me as a producer, I'm like, I'd like to just have more content, and they're like, no, we have to get the live reads in here, and it's like, <laughs> how are we going to do this? And I'm like, I don't think it would fit here, and right, uh, and you know, finally we agreed on a format, and it's actually working out pretty that's pretty good. well. That's great.
0: That's great. I love Dan Bongino. Uh, just. Seems like a great guy. He is fabulous yeah, to work for. That's great. well. He
1: always says, "Don't so, don't ever say you work for me. You work with me."
0: That's awesome. I love <laughs> to hear that because he was up here several times with Glenn Beck uh, being interviewed. I'm talking years and years ago. He would come up here to the studio, and you know, guests have to wait out in the hall, hang out in the dressing room, stuff like that. Genuinely nice guy, mm-hmm. easy to talk to, and uh, it was a pleasure every time he was up here. But uh, yeah, I just. Boy, those sales departments, huh? <laughs> I just, I, I, I'm i kind of hung up on this because as we're talking, I'm thinking through the line in radio. And I'm sorry that, you know, this is so radio focused, but I just, I want, since I have a radio guy in here, I want you to, to see if your experience mirrors mine. Where everywhere along the line where I've worked, every city, and I mean, I've gone one, two, three, four. Okay. So... The head of the entire radio station always comes from sales. They never mm-hmm. put a creative guy or gal at the top of the building, at the top of the station. It's always from sales.
1: And, and it's always going to be that way, it though. It just
0: bugs me so it, much. That's
1: the way it will always be, because <laughs> money the money is the key thing to keep yes, the thing going. Sir.
0: Yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> so... You had mentioned, you know, hey, kids, follow your heart. Mm -hmm. And so if you had done that, you're saying you would have been an archaeologist. Yeah. I think It's not to say that you don't enjoy your radio stuff now. You're just saying.
1: And that's the funny thing is I think as I I think about it, I probably would have done that. But I think some way I would have found my way to the entertainment thing, Uh especially with the way things have expanded with channels that you can go on and pitch an idea. You know because you got all these archaeological shows on Discovery Channel and mm-hmm. History Channel. And I mean, whatever. is there
0: any particular <clears throat> era that you would want to go and investigate and try to dig up to
1: see all of them? Interesting, mm-hmm. I mean, prehistory, or like uh, as a kid growing up going to Virginia, my like I said, my grandparents lived in the Hampton area, so we were real close to Williamsburg, Yorktown, Jamestown, yeah, and I'd go every time and i think that's where my love of history was or maybe it's i had the love of history first i can't it's a, i guess it's a chicken or the egg kind of thing yeah you know but it, either way that really satiated my interest in history and it's funny because i always think about when people talk about time travel oh god if we could only travel back in time well you can you go there and if you know the story you can put yourself in that moment at mm-hmm. that time so when you're standing on a battlefield at yorktown or at George Washington's headquarters, you can look around and see his horse getting water from the creek that's right there, which is mm. by the way, is really, really cold
0: all the time because <laughs>
1: it's an actual spring. Wow. Um, you can see Washington talking to Lafayette, you know It's like you can travel back in time.
0: you can do it. <laughs> I, I love it I'm, I'm a I'm a history geek and it's uh, just another thing that you and I have in common. How about that? <laughs> but here's something else we have in common. It's a recurring theme on this show, and I, I will just briefly say this: I'm a big fan of pizza. So okay. you, you used to manage a pizza place. I did. Right? Okay, <laughs> and so you're so you're a New York guy. Mm-hmm. You obviously love pizza, <laughs> but I love that your comfort food is Texas barbecue. Oh
1: yeah. How, how,
0: how did that happen? Where you, like, because you would, you would put that ahead of. Uh, Pizza from so, New York, huh?
1: I'll tell you, I always, I mean, I loved barbecue. It was like, it was okay. It wasn't top of my list or anything. And then uh, I, I was walking through Home Depot one day, and I was just going for light bulbs. And I found this small little smoker about yay big. You know, it's about two, and it said, the last one, 25 bucks. And I'm like, okay, why not? So I buy this smoker for 25 bucks, and then I start reading about it. Recipes and how to smoke food. It makes and this me and that. hungry, dude. Yeah, so I start experimenting with it, and I'm not that great at it or anything. <clears throat> I go down to Austin. I wait in the five hour line at Franklin Barbecue, and you finally get in. And in the in the line there, they put uh, burn ends. They'll set them out for the people waiting in line.
0: I'm starving now,
1: and so. <laughs> I pick up this burn end, because everybody's heard about Franklin's, like, I don't get what's the big deal, pop it in my mouth, and it just took, like, two seconds, and my eyes just went, how did this man create this <laughs> piece of meat that is just, like, the most heavenly thing I've ever eaten in my entire life?
0: We're about to stop this interview and go have barbecue and then finish it after that. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So you, okay. So then
1: I finished, and then Aaron Franklin's there, so I... Talk to him since I'm the new smoker. I'm like, how do you smoke a turkey? Because my wife likes smoked turkey. Mm -hmm. The man proceeds for 20 minutes to go into the intricacies of how I should smoke a turkey. And he's a wonderful human being. And I started smoking turkeys that way. Now now I'm smoking turkeys for three or four families on the holiday, on Thanksgiving, because it's like, all I'm doing is following Franklin's recipe. But then... I just grew to love it. So I go around the state now. I follow Texas Monthly's top 50 barbecue list. And I go to every joint that I can find. And I've Uh become quite the snob about barbecue.
0: Wow. Okay, so how does something like a hard eight compare to... Tourist barbecue. (laughs) (laughs) It's good, but it's tourist barbecue. You've got to... (laughs) i got to introduce you to David Larley, who was uh, episode 62... Okay. And he's a pastor who has a uh, a barbecue company and it's called um Smoked Maple. Okay. Smoked Maple, Texas barbecue, catering and events. You know, I'm still waiting for him to bring me some uh, <laughs> down here. He comes in here and talks about it and, you know, doesn't bring well, I'll try and hook you up. Yeah, so <laughs> so but he's from Canada and so that's how he got oh. the the Smoked Maple uh angle there. So I am seriously wanting to put pause, (laughs) push the pause button and then go eat right now and then come back and finish up. Uh, You worked in a warehouse? Yes. I I would feel like maybe I could, you know, almost work far away from anybody else in this building. But was it like that at all? Or did you have to work alongside people? You know, you you worked alongside.
1: We had a little crew. I mean, they were, it was pretty cool to work with. Uh, There was only about six of us. Okay. And then the manager who was right there, it was a computer parts warehouse. Some of hmm. them small, some of, some of them much bigger because computer technology at that time still wasn't <laughs> developing. Yeah. Um, but uh, the best part was getting to uh, drive the forklift. Oh,
0: you don't want me around anything if I'm driving machinery around. But that was fun stuff, huh? Yes, that's fun. That's cool. So... You also delivered newspapers when you were a kid? I
1: did. 12 years old, that was my first job. I threw the New York Daily News, which um, is just bizarre, because all I had was a uh, shopping cart and my route, and you have to walk your route. Oh, wow. Yeah, and especially when you're dropping off. No, because there were too too many many papers. papers. Yeah, And when you're having to drop off in apartment buildings, all the apartment buildings, well, you know, growing up, or being in New York, you got to get buzzed in. Uh-huh. So you get there at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, not really a lot of people ready to buzz you in. So oh,
0: God.
1: Uh, it's you're like having to wait until either somebody comes out or maybe somebody uh-huh. will answer a buzz to go in and, de- and deliver. How annoying. And then uh, nobody believes me that this was true, but actually Bongino threw the post. No, he threw Newsday. And it's the same thing. It's like the same memory. We didn't get paid. It was tips only. What? Yes. So when you went around and made your collections, you got got tips and that was it. Did
0: the people receiving the newspaper realize this?
1: I don't know if they did. I, oh, my god! There were a bunch of stiffs, too. They oh. would stiff you.
0: Well, maybe they didn't know that <laughs> your life depended on them giving you tips. No, they didn't care. Well, okay. Well, that's true. I forgot. It's New York it's New City. York. <laughs> of course. Of course. But still, what a raw deal, man. I mean, that's terrible. Okay, so what time did you have to wake up to do that?
1: Oh, God. 12-year-old kid It would have had up to up. have been right around five or so. Oh, oh, okay. That. Okay. Yeah. Maybe, maybe even earlier because you have to go to school and yeah. school's starting at eight
0: well you have to, did you not have to like wrap the papers and put them in the, the plastic no. or something didn't
1: have to I mean you had to do that on like rainy days especially rainy. Uh, uh, if it was a house that was outside because in the apartment buildings it didn't matter you mm-hmm. just leave them on the doormat and
0: I just remember a friend of mine who would have to wrap them in a rubber band every time. And then if it was raining, he'd have to get up even earlier to put them. I didn't the have to do it every day. That's, it's okay.
1: just like just the raining uh, okay. part of
0: it. Okay. So, the person who's had the biggest impact on you, your wife Tony.
1: Yes. What did y'all meet? Uh, we met at a Super Bowl party in an apartment complex in Irving. Um, I had a, some friends of mine that worked at the pizza place. At uh, we worked together, and they were living there, and she was living there, and. Um. So I went down with my friend, and my friend bumped into one girl, and she said, "Hey, would you like to be my neighbor?" And then I met her, and so, <clears throat> oh, that's how we met. At the at, that was at a Christmas party. Our first date was a Super Bowl
0: party. Okay, that's it. So, okay. so just indulge me here, and and if you don't know the answer, that's cool. But I just want to play this game for my own memory sake. What year was the Super Bowl party? Just tell me like the year it was, please.
1: Okay, so it would have been the Super Bowl of... Because I want to try to figure out... I want to try
0: to see if I can remember the teams that were involved. It would have been the Super Bowl in 89. Oh, 89. Oh, that's going to be the Giants? Nope. Okay, it's going to be the... Hold on. I got to think here. I'm rushing myself here. It's a podcast that I can edit, so stop (laughs) rushing yourself, Keith. It was the Redskins and the Broncos.
1: No, see, now you got me questioning.
0: (laughs) It was the Bills, Keith. No, No, I don't even know. Hang on a second. Hang on you a second. You look it up. You don't yeah. want me to tell you? Yeah, no, I don't. Uh, yeah, okay, tell me.
1: It's the Bengals and the 49ers.
0: Oh, yeah. The Bengals <laughs> blew it at the end. Yes. Yes, the 49ers. Montana Shame hits
1: John Taylor yes, at the end Yes,
0: yes. It's like, wait a minute. That's not Jerry Rice catching that. It's John Taylor. Shame on me. If I had slowed down and really thought about it. Because that, that that's kind of a... It's a stupid thing I always test myself with sometimes where Mm -hmm. I'm just laying in bed, not able to sleep, and I will just go back in time, you know, year (laughs) by year, trying to remember who played in the Super Bowl until I fall asleep. That's my equivalent of counting sheep. (laughs) That's not bad. That's a great idea. Like that? Yeah. Of course, the problem is that I get hung up on the Falcons' Super Bowls. And uh, I cry myself to sleep. So you those could do notes. it with
1: World Series, but it would just be like Yankees, Yankees. It's like, I got it. it. Boring. I got it. Yeah, no, I'm a little bitter. Okay. Mm-hmm. I
0: had a boss who was a big Yankees fan. And every morning we'd have a post-morning show meeting in his office. And I'd have to sit there and just stare at this. He had this huge poster. And it was all of the World Series trophies. That the Yankees had accumulated to that point, I think it was 25, and this was you know early 2000s. Like, I don't need that's to see some, that. That's Ken. obnoxious. Yeah, it's rude. Come on, Ken. That's but not it's, nice.
1: But it's easy to be a Yankees fan. Yeah. It's hard to be a Mets fan.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so, real commitment. <laughs> so how do you do you remember consciously deciding as a kid to be a Mets fan instead of a Yankees fan? What year were you born? Uh,
1: 65.
0: Okay. So right. So you were just a young kid uh, as the Mets were becoming a franchise, really.
1: Right. I looked up to my dad, and my dad was a Brooklyn Dodger fan as a kid. You know, once they left, it kind of left a void for a lot of people. Uh Dodger fans wouldn't go root for the Yankees. There was no way they could do that. (laughs) So when the Mets came around, you know, he adopted the Mets, as did a lot of other people who, uh, who lived in Brooklyn at the time. And so just through him... Mm -hmm. I mean, my dad's the reason I was a Cowboy fan, too. Even living in New York. How does that happen? Because my dad was a Navy guy. Roger Staubach was a Navy guy. So my dad liked Staubach. And so I I became a Cowboy fan. So my my dad convinced me of it. uh, Or first, you got to fall in love with baseball first. And I did. And then you go to a Mets game, and it's a wonderful experience, especially when you're real young. I still have the a wool Mets uniform from when I was like three or four years old that I wore to my first baseball game. I still have that. How cool,
0: (laughs) man. That's really cool. Do you remember the planes flying over Shea Stadium? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. I remember just watching Braves games, you know, and just the planes. And I thought – those are loud on TV. <laughs> How are they in person, you know? Yeah. My goodness. Okay. I mean, that makes sense, the whole Roger Staubach connection. Because I, I, I was just sitting here thinking, I don't know any Saints fans in Atlanta, you know? Oh, no. Growing up as a, as a rival to the Falcons. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. That, that's, that's understandable. Okay. So, in fact, you know, you're Jacob deGrom fan. I mean, oh,
1: God. He's the best. Right. I love we were this. robbed this year of I one just... of the most
0: historic seasons ever because he got hurt. Oh, okay, okay, that's what you mean. Okay, I, yeah. thought, I thought there was some controversial play. I'm oh, like, no, no, no. I'm like, I see how far back they finished in the standings. I, I, I doubt there was... But now I understand your point, yes. Okay, so you play golf?
1: Yes. Well, wow. I hadn't played in a long time. <laughs>
0: how old were you when you started?
1: I was 30 when I started. Oh, okay. I, got, I started playing during the whole Tiger Woods craze. Uh-huh, okay. So, um... Well, not new to it anymore, but I wasn't playing when I was a kid. Right, but I mean,
0: I tell people that come in here and talk about golf that I've been playing golf since I was 12, And I'm the worst golfer that I know that's been playing golf their entire life. And so it's like I talk to people that take it up later in life, and they're like, yeah, my handicap's, you know, 12, 15. I'm like, man, I feel good when I break 100, but okay. Anyhow, uh, let's see here. But but we'll have to play sometime, right? I had an eagle from
1: the fairway the other day. What? (laughs) So my favorite course (laughs) in Texas is uh, Hyatt Hill Country. I I don't know if you've been down there. In San Antonio,
0: I don't get out much, and I don't play much anymore. <laughs> yeah, okay. so I was playing
1: with my son. Yeah,
0: good for you. Yeah,
1: and had a decent drive, um, and then I had to lay up because there's a creek in front. Uh huh. So, so it's um, a par five then? Yes, it's kay. par five. So, there the creek's in front, and so I take a seven iron. I'm about 150 out. Take a seven iron, and then I look to see if it's going to bounce because all the, there's all these reeds in the creek, and I can't see the green. So I see it bounce, and I'm like, okay, good. At least I know I'm over the creek. Wow! So I, we pull up. I look. There's no ball on the green. I'm like, right? Oh. So I'm like, you got to be kidding me! Did I fly the green? So I'm walking all. The, <laughs> it's not in the trap. It's not behind this the green. Is awesome! Uh, I'm like they're rough. I'm looking all through. I said, did that ball spin back into the creek? So I start walking down the green to go to the creek to see if it's in in the front there. And I looked down in the hole, and there's the ball. And I was like,
0: yes! What? (laughs) That is so cool. I'll tell you, Jim, I I, I saved one ball in my, what, 30-plus years of playing golf. I've saved one ball, and it was a similar situation Mm -hmm. to that. And so my friend and my brothers-in-law are like, whatever, man. We didn't see that. A squirrel probably just knocked it in there. You know what I mean? It's like, shut up! Yeah. I'm keeping this ball. This is me. Yeah. I don't care. But what a feeling, right? Exactly. I, and that, I mean, that's the closest I've ever been and ever will be to getting like a hole-in-one or something. Had a hole-in-one, too. Whoa! Nice! Okay, so I, I cannot say that. Now, see, that's gotta be a better feeling, I would think, because A, I assume I'm, I'm assuming here that you could see that go yes, into the hole. Yes, that one I saw. Okay, yeah.
1: So, yeah. Tell I was us about pl- that. I was playing with uh, a record guy, uh, or two record reps, and then my brother-in-law. Um, and I, this is when I was really bad, because I shot 103 that day. So, oh, don't say that's really bad. I just
0: told you that I barely break a hundred when I play. But that's what I'm saying. It's like you, I, I, I shot 103 with a hole in one. So, oh, it's okay. Like, my, uh, I missed the point there. Yeah. yeah okay. My bad.
1: So, <laughs> I hit it. It's 147. I hit a seven iron. It goes over water, and all I'm thinking about is please don't chunk it in the water. So I get it up. It goes up nice, and it, I'm going well. At least it's going to get over this. This bog that's in front of me. And my brother in law goes, Oh, I think you're going to like that one. <laughs> so I see it hit the front and I watch it roll and then it just disappeared. And I went, Oh, oh my God. Oh, yes.
0: <laughs> Good for you. So were the uh, the guys with you? They were impressed, I would hope. The, one of them didn't see it. And what? it was like,
1: uh, And he's like, What? What happened? Like it went into the hole, so they all freaked out. How cool! I think there was some people on the next tee box and they saw it, so it was just that was a cool moment. And then the best part, you know, when you go back into the clubhouse and you have to buy a round for everybody,
0: nobody. I I didn't know this because uh, I've never had a hole in one. There you go. Really, that's a thing. Nobody was there, so it was like yes, yes. (laughs) How cool is that, man? That is awesome. Congrats on that. The moral of of your stories with golf you understand, is that you should always hit the 7-iron. okay? I guess so, yeah. (laughs) Just figuring
1: that out, I guess.
0: (laughs) So you mentioned the record reps. Mm -hmm. I don't want to make too much of an assumption here, but was that um, related to the radio business then? Yes. Okay, so obviously you didn't just go to college and then, you know... 30 years later, or whatever it is, you're producing for Dan Bongino. Yeah, <laughs> well, no. W- were you always working in radio here in the Dallas area?
1: Yes. Okay. Um, I started, my first radio job was at K-Love. First of all, I started there as an intern, and then I got a part-time deal running a satellite show on Saturday nights. Mm-hmm. And then I would um, come in and fill in sometimes, answering phones for Hubcap Carter, who which was, he was a great, Mentor, influence, and a great human being. He's hmm. no longer with us, unfortunately. But uh, what a great human being he was. And I got to work under Chuck Brinkman. I don't know if you're familiar with Chuck.
0: I'm not too familiar with Dallas radio personalities. Okay. Well, uh, Chuck
1: was a, a legend. Oh God, I believe it was in either Detroit or no, no Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. I don't know. Okay. How you okay. Forget that. He actually brought the Beatles on stage one
0: time. Wow. Yeah, that's kind of cool. I <laughs> should I should know this, huh? <laughs> so, have you always? Worked in, based in Dallas? Yes. Because someone in the radio business who stays in the same city their entire career is more unique than say a baseball player playing for the same team their entire career yeah I'm a unicorn <laughs> no you are I, I, I don't know that I can sit here and say I know anybody that can say yeah I've been in the same city unless mm-hmm. they're like a legend host you know sure. in a town but even they had they right. worked their way up to those markets mm-hmm. but anyhow um, that's I mean seriously congrats to you for, <laughs> you. for being able to, to not have to uproot your family every you know couple years like the rest of us have right. had to
1: <laughs> I think one of my Bosses at Westwood One was like, "So tell me about your radio career." I said, "I went down the line of Dallas." He goes, "No, but before Dallas, so <laughs> I'm like, I've always been in Dallas." Wow! I went,
0: I, "I'm a major market guy, Bart." <laughs> that is fabulous, man. That's so cool. <laughs> I, I know at some point Richard Lewis, the actor, yes, saved your job. Yes. What's that all about?
1: Okay, so from K Love, which was part time, and after college, my first real. Radio job was a morning show producer for KRSR in Dallas Star 105, and um, the program director there. He was uh, he was always very nice to me, but he was a little off because <laughs> he got fired two weeks later after he hired me. Oh wow! Because he uh, apparently allegedly had threatened Jim Belushi with a gun, but um, we'll get into that. Wow. Um, So Star 105 to kick off, they were getting all these celebrities to come on. We had Dana Carvey for three days. We had uh, Joe Piscopo in. We had Richard Lewis. Alan Thicke came on. It was just – they just had all these celebrities. And they did three-hour shows. So – who, who
0: was the Who was the most natural? Who was the best at that uh, of of the celebrities that came in? Oh, Dana Carvey. I figured. hands down. I, I was just sitting here thinking, man, I would love to hear a Dana Carvey. Maybe show. Maybe
1: the funniest man I've ever been around. I mean, in my that was my childhood.
0: Life. I mean, he was my SNL go-to.
1: Well, it, you want to talk about blowing, mind-blowing. So this is my first job in radio, and I don't even know how because even as a kid, I do impressions and things like that. And I must have done something around him hmm. and I didn't even realize it, <laughs> but he he was the one saying to me, you got to do the grumpy old man with me on the air. You got to do the grumpy. I'm like, <laughs> Dan Carvey is asking me to do the grumpy old man. This is crazy. Dude, I'm like, I don't, that's not, uh, that's. So he finally talks me into it on the third day and we do, and I start and it's like, my day, you know? And it's like, and then I, just don't know where to go from there because I've got freaking Dana Carvey right next to me. Then, of course, he takes over and goes into a whole bit,
0: and Uh it it was incredible. Uh, Because I remember him doing that. You weren't the inspiration for it, necessarily, right? I, that's what I'm asking The here. inspiration for what? For the old man bit. No, no. Okay, no, no, okay, no, no, no. I got it, I got it, because here... The no, way, the was, way that I, was one of
1: his established characters. Got it. The yeah. way
0: I heard it was, you were doing a grumpy old man bit, no, and he said, no, come no, no, in no. and do that. I got it.
1: Okay. I may have just been... Sure, okay. ...doing one of his <laughs> one voices of his. Yeah, around, yeah. you know. <laughs> and then the, the thing about it, the most amazing thing of that was he people would call and he'd say take my character put him in a situation and then he'd just go and it was the most amazing thing you've ever seen in your life that is great he's one of the
0: most talented comics that's ever lived in my in my mind I'm I'm right there (laughs) with you I mean the guy yes I could go on and on and on and I think that uh I think that his uh movie Opportunity Knox is incredibly underrated But that's his TV
1: series, which lasted eight eight episodes uh,
0: on ABC. I remember Mm -hmm. I I just I'm telling you, I loved the like the the ring and run stuff where, you know, uh, we could do this all day, man. But he's so great.
1: Okay, so the Richard Lewis story. I'm sorry. I got sidetracked. No, that's fine. That's fine. (laughs) So so Richard comes in. He's a Mets fan. I'm I'm a Mets fan. He's giving me crap about the Mets the entire time. Uh, he comes in for two days. So he comes in, and this was after the program director had been fired. Uh, I'm working with a substitute host, and a guy named John McCarty, by the way, I'd like to say his name. He's no longer with us either, but one of the classiest guys mm. ever to grace the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He's a fabulous human being, dear friend. Um, so anyway, uh, Richard, we do a show, Apparently, he went out to dinner with my GM that night. I We come in the next day. I'm there. I come let him in. He goes, hey, come here. I got to talk to you. We go into this little room off of where the main control room is. He goes, look, I don't know what's going on around here or anything like that. He goes, um, I just wanted you to know that I told Jenny Sue, she was the general manager at the time. I told her what a great guy you are, what a great job you're doing, that they're lucky to have you, and uh, let's just— leave it at that, okay? I just want you to know I did that. I'm like, okay, I really appreciate that. But I'm like, I had no idea that there was any problems oh, was going on. Oh. It was like, okay. Mm. But so, yeah, he literally saved my job for, you think,
0: <laughs> for why, a while. Why, why, you think that you would have been axed if I he I think had she was something? looking to get rid of me, yes. Oh, okay. Yes, and I don't so.
1: think she liked me, and I think the fact that the old program director that uh, had Resume hired, change, hired huh? me, yeah, she was like, get me somebody
0: else. So. That's interesting. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, when I see him on TV or something, I'll, I'll remember <laughs> what a nice guy. Now. So are you a big reader? Cause I asked this question yeah. about your favorite book. Yeah, or I do. Last book yes. Yeah. Okay. So I, I mostly
1: read nonfiction history. Um, that's what I got to
0: do, man. Cause I can't, yeah, I feel like I'm wasting my time otherwise, unless it's something like Atlas shrugged, which is either history or the future, depending yeah, on how you look at it. Pretty but much the future. I'm fascinated by the title <laughs> of this book. Um the I secret, you'd ask me about the it. secret life of groceries. Okay,
1: it's somebody like one of my friends who knows I like to read or whatever they're like, I think you'd be interested in this book. I'm like, why would I be interested in a book about groceries? I, I, why would you think I would be interested in that? I have no idea. So I'm like, okay, I got it. I'll I'll read it. I start reading this book and the author, his name is Ben. Lore, I think it's L O R R. Okay. He starts out with this description of a whole foods in New York City and cleaning out the fish case.
0: Oh, am I gonna like never eat again <laughs> after reading this book? No. Actually, it's
1: no. It, it won't lead you to that at all. It is one of the most fascinating books I've ever read because he of the research that he did and he actually lived the life. He lived with a trucker on the road hauling groceries. He worked part time at the Whole Foods. He went to Thailand on the fishing ships where they get fish from.
0: Again, am I gonna never like, eat food again after reading this book? Oh. The
1: the Thailand fishing thing that uh, was yeah pretty oh close.
0: Oh, no, I. I I actually enjoy eating. I don't
1: want to ruin that for me but the the re- how they go into how you get con- how do you get your condiments on the shelves mm-hmm. and the place I bet it's fascinating and the, it it was one of the most the guy does a great job, right It
0: sounds like and it's not because I'm just a lazy reader, but it sounds like this would be a great like Netflix documentary or something
1: most most definitely, but the thing is is the way he wrote it. And the way he did research it, it was kind of stealth and on the down low. So I don't think anybody would let you in on the secrets right. the way these people let him in.
0: That and there's probably no cameras and stuff involved. Right? Yeah, it would okay. Yeah. Well, that sounds really cool. It's
1: a it's a cool I'll I can bring it to you if Please you want it. Do. I've got it. <laughs> Please do. That's
0: really cool, man. Um, alrighty. If you could only keep five possessions, what would they be? All your pictures, that makes sense. Family memorabilia you listed. Baseball cards. Yes. So are these old cards? Are they signed cards? Are there are there a handful of cards in your collection that you point to as that's my pride and joy?
1: I collected since I was six or seven, and these are just all my cards. Uh-huh. I didn't buy a lot of card shows. I mean, all of them are kind of special to me. Sure, I'm with you. The only ones that I bought at card shows is I went because I tried to get every met that I ever could for every season. I mean, I stopped. How long that. did you
0: do that for? I was gonna
1: say. Yeah, I stopped that a long, long time I was ago. Because buying cards now, it's stupid. It's it's so expensive.
0: Well, not only that, but and I'm trying to figure out the episode number here, but I had a previous guest on here who has a show where he just goes through different packs of of baseball or football cards he had me on once and uh we got to open up some cards and and i got to keep the deon sanders rookie cards you know being oh, a falcons fan <laughs> Right. I, I just like he and i kept opening these cards and i went home with four uh deon sanders rookie cards it was it was so great but i've got
1: two pretty good condition wayne gretzky w- rookie cards
0: nice nice <laughs> well um really nice man <laughs> gosh if you ever get a chance to listen to jeff in episode 27 uh he's uh he's fun and he does uh, like i said he he uh opens up these baseball cards and stuff but one of the things he was teaching me which i know you can probably relate to and you probably already know this but when i was a kid and i was getting into baseball cards late 80s early 90s that's when the market was just becoming so saturated and mm-hmm. the laws of supply and demand and the prices. I get a Beckett sports guide now, and I start going through cards with my kids. I'm like, oh, we're going to see how much my Ken Griffey <laughs> Jr. card's worth now. Oh, wait a minute. What happened? You know, it's not what I expected. Right. Yeah. So Upper Deck was coming around. They right. were all these different companies. used to be Topps and Fleer. And Donruss, right? Remember right. them? Yep. Then you get Upper Deck, and you get all these different companies that I can't remember. You can't even
1: name them yeah. now. Yeah, and they went out of business. No, yeah. I, I, I think my first where I had the first really started the collection was about seventy-two. Okay. And then right about the time you're uh, talking about, it, I just stopped buying them just because they got too expensive, and obviously they got too expensive because it became a whole big thing. Yeah. So. I, uh, I
0: mean, that stinks. They were so expensive, and now they're not worth anything. I know. It was literally, it was kind of like the equivalent to... to, Beanie Babies. Be- <laughs> Thank you. I was going to say tulips and, and that whole thing, but you got it. Yes. Be- baseball cards and Beanie Babies, man. My gosh. Uh, so is there is there one card where you're like, that's the one that... that Oh, I boy. like to show off or I brag about. I do
1: have a 1963 Stan Musial that I actually got him to sign at a card show, wow. which was cool. So, yeah, that's probably my favorite. Oh, cool. What a nice man he was, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, I've mentioned before that right before it became this big business and you had to pay hand over fist to get access to autographs, uh, I was at a card show in, in Metro Atlanta, and Mickey Mantle, oh Willie Mays, and I always forget the third one. Oh,
1: so God. many people here in Dallas have met Mickey Mantle because he lived here. I, unfortunately, I'm not one of those people, yeah. but I wish I
0: was. Well, he in in the in the 30 seconds I talked to him, he was just such a gentleman. Mm. And I and I I didn't I was young, man. I think I was I don't know 10, 12, maybe 12. And so I didn't even realize he was going to be there. I, I didn't find out until we were just there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, by the way, upstairs, you know, what?
1: Mickey Mantle? Right, <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: but I just asked him, you know, how many, what's the most home runs you hit? And like, obviously everybody knows it's 60 <laughs> in a season. And and uh, But he was quick to uh, give credit to Roger Maris, who mm-hmm. beat him out by one home run that season. Okay, let's see here. I love this answer, dude. If you could go back in history, meet one person, Ben Franklin. Yes. I mean, you know, after I saw your answer, I thought, seriously, the man was a statesman, an inventor, a politician, a humorist, a thinker. I mean, he was a renaissance. He is the quintessential American. Absolutely.
1: And that period of time is my favorite period of time in American history. I go, whenever I go to Philadelphia and I go into Independence Hall, it's still. Sends chills. I'm thinking about it now. Look, I'm getting Mm. goosebumps. Sure. I, that place. It is hallowed ground. It is. It really is. That's the birthplace of freedom and independence and the current, the current state of the world, which never entertained the fact that people could govern themselves. You know, it was always, you had to be governed by somebody. Somebody had to be in charge of you. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, we can do this on our own and we're going to set up a system. And they did it in that room. And it's, the most amazing uh, feat of human intellectual um, thought that has ever been achieved, in my humble opinion. In <laughs> uh, my humble opinion
0: as well. I'm, I'm right there with you. Such a collection of, of geniuses mm-hmm. uh, all in one spot. This idea of self-government that you and I cherish from people, this like Ben Franklin who gave us this gift, Um how much longer do you think we got on uh, on self-governance
1: uh, oh my goodness. you know what i think it's a pendulum i and i think even people now who are radically one way will uh, once they see what the once they see what they have sown is coming back hmm. to hurt them or do things that aren't necessarily um to their advantage that really does affect their freedom. Mm-hmm. I think eventually uh, things will turn back the other. I, I mean, I believe in a swinging pendulum. It'll, it'll turn back the other way. I do believe it.
0: You can uh, juggle. I can. Okay.
1: Well, I haven't done it in a while, so. All right. Well, that's <laughs> too bad. Don't put me huh? on the spot. Oh, I'm about to.
0: <laughs> oh no. So, uh, <laughs> Chef Andrew Gruel was in here, and he had the same answer. Uh, as far as talents go, episode 68. <laughs> and I turned around here. I looked, and I was like, eh, the only thing I've got here are candy cigarettes. Yeah, uh, and he, he juggled some for us. Do you want to give it a shot? I can or give you... it a shot All if right, you want to. All right, sure. There we go. So anytime someone is in this studio and lists juggling as a talent, I'm going to toss him candy cigarettes. I should have never put that. I should have. You know what? Let me... Uh, let me try to get This uh, is going to be hard. Yeah, well, hold on a second. I got to I gotta record this. <coughs> this is going to be good stuff. All okay, right, let's see if we... Okay, let's see what you got here. Whoa, see? All right, that's a good start there. That's yeah, fun. Good start, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's not bad no, at all. Kidding. Yeah, nice okay. job. Okay, so that was good. That's hard. Yeah, the right. Yeah, Balls yeah. are much easier. Yeah, because the, the, <laughs> the weight on these keeps shifting. You're right, keep right, right. in the air. All right, well... <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. You and Chef Andrew Gruel. Uh, I love
1: Chef Andrew
0: Gruel. Well, you two are, are unique in that you're the only people that have that have juggled candy cigarette boxes in the studio. I love it. That's awesome. It. Yeah, he's, he's fun. That was a fun time as well. Um, okay. The most scared you've ever been was watching The Exorcist. How old were you when that
1: came oh, out? Well, I didn't see it in the theater. This wasn't even until much later. Oh, wow. Uh, I don't even think I saw it till. Could have been late teens. Huh. So and it was just I'm I grew up Catholic, you know, I was an altar boy. Church was a big thing in the life. Uh huh. So, you know, I was very Catholic. And that movie, if you were very Catholic, literally scares the hell out of you. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: I mean I mean that literally. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember scenes from that, uh, when I was a kid. Just trying to think of what it would have been on broadcast TV or something. I just I don't
1: I don't know. I can't. Re- I, I may no. You could probably rent it.
0: I wonder if my parents rented it, and maybe I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Right about the time uh, VCRs were were coming out. Uh, I wonder. I, I'm just trying to think of where I was exposed to it because I had nightmares too of stuff from that movie. Yeah, that so. was
1: that was intense. That and was that, like.
0: However, if you want to. Fix your mind, I guess, is the only way I can think of to say this. Go back and watch it now. Watch clips on YouTube, and you're like, oh, my gosh, that's the cheesiest thing I've ever seen in my <laughs> life, you know? Like like the meat walking and stuff, that's the right, dumbest right. thing I've ever seen now. Yeah. Now it's just like you laugh at it. It's like a comedy <laughs> bit now. So anyway, if you want to try to, to help your memories out there, uh, I would highly I'm recommend I'm okay that. now.
1: I can yeah. that's good. That's good.
0: So I love this as a bucket list item, and I'm right there with you. But how do we do this? Okay. And I'm willing to break the law with you in order to make this happen. But you want to play at Augusta. Oh yeah. So yes. here's what I was thinking. Now you tell me now here's, here's what, I've already thought this through because when I looked through your answer, I was like, All right, let me see if I'll go for this. <laughs> so how secure is that golf course at night? I, I right, do not know. Okay, okay. So the sun goes down, it gets dark, mm-hmm. right? I know that the roads there are close enough because whenever I watch the Masters, I can hear sirens and traffic going by. So I'm like, "There's an entry point somewhere <laughs> close by." Okay, I've thought this through, brother. Okay, we take our glow in the dark golf balls. We just play one hole, right, and then we take off. That way, we can see. Just get a
1: seven it. iron and yeah, a putter. Seven, you don't even you
0: gotta remember your seven iron. That's right. <laughs> and then when the glow, when the glowing ball just vanishes, we know it's in the hole. Right. <laughs> so... You can't possibly have, maybe around tournament time in in April, maybe they have... Guards, we're gonna have to do some recon, some research <laughs> yeah, before we this, do this. But I just, I can't imagine that it's, especially in this day and age, when when just bad people out there looking to do damage and stuff. I could just see someone like, I don't want to give anybody ideas, but my point is, <laughs> I think you just did. Okay, well, I think you my just point is, we're gonna have to try to, to fulfill <laughs> our bucket list before this podcast posts. <laughs> okay, yes, exactly. <laughs> we don't want them standing at the ready for exactly. us on the. 18th green you no know? okay but uh how, how do we do that how do we get to play someone invite us is that even a thing yeah
1: see from uh, if you've ever heard rush limbaugh explain it because he got he got to play it a few times uh-huh. and it's like when you're with people who are members you never ask
0: okay yeah. okay
1: you have to be you have to be asked uh-huh so i think the thing is is uh can you get Condoleezza Rice on your podcast? She is a member. <laughs> uh, okay,
0: writing this down. Condi Rice. Condi Rice. Okay. So uh-huh. uh, just That's, talk. You that know, is great. That is so great. Talk about golf
1: experiences. Uh-huh. And talk about what it's like to play there, and yeah. maybe it'll be, well,
0: hi, hey. I'll Heath. tell her that my favorite color is green. That you're from Georgia. I'm from Georgia, right? <laughs> I can't tell you, Condi, how many times I've driven between Atlanta and Charleston. You know what's right on the way? Augusta. And I also won't admit that I average around 100 strokes every time I play. I will, I'll leave that no, out of the leave conversation. That out completely. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, let's see here. We're doing it sometime, though. We, you and I, we're going we're gonna to show up there at like 2 a.m. You're
1: going to let us in. No, 2 a.m. No, we're just going
0: to helicopter in. Okay, let's see here. Tom, Tom Cruise Mission Impossible style, <laughs> man. You know what? I'm willing to try it. I'm willing to try it. So, I ask, what's in your Amazon cart? Is there anything currently, or you, you said I need to ask your wife? She's the one that runs the Amazon yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, okay. she put stuff in there. I just, <laughs> I, I just hit buy now, and that's it. <laughs> buy now. Yep. Um, you have a social media handle. I just discovered this today, so I started following you on Twitter. Uh, at JJ Verdi, J-J-V-E-R-D-I, and then you're on Rumble by the same uh, right. handle. Right, right. I should check out Rumble because it seems like a, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it's more of a uh, free speech YouTube.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what yeah, it is. I need
0: to. I need to take a look over <laughs> there for sure. Well, uh, thanks for coming in here on At The Mic. We have a mutual friend uh, who introduced us. Yes. Uh, so uh, Mike Sacco, who I used to work with, who now works with you. Yes. Uh, radio is such a small world, man. It really
1: is. Yeah. It, it's funny you say that. When I uh, I worked at Radio Disney for a while, and that was at the old ABC Radio Network building. Have you ever been over there or off of Monfort? Uh-uh. It's no longer there. They tore it down, unfortunately. Um, but when I first went to work there, it was like, this is the place where all the old DJs go to die. Uh It's like from everybody throughout my career, from K-Love to Young Country to Star 105, or Star 105 to Young Country to uh, a talk station to Radio Disney, all all through that were people that I had worked through through my entire career. It was funny. Wow. (laughs)
0: Uh, It it is truly... I could describe it one of two ways. I can either say it's a small world mm-hmm. because it truly is. Or I could say it's incredibly incestuous where everyone is connected some way or another in this business. <laughs> and, and we all end up circling back and, and, and right. running into people that we've worked with before. It's uh, it's a unique business that way. And, and most of the time, people in this business can identify with my example of saying, you know, the only people that move more frequently than radio people are military brats. But unfortunately that doesn't apply to you because you're the <laughs> unicorn that stays put in Dallas for his entire career. And that's so cool, yes. man. I just truly, that's the most stunning fact of this entire interview. I'll tell you that. Anyway, Jim Verdi, thanks so much for coming in today. I appreciate it. Buddy. Thank you. Keith. A pleasure. I had a great time getting to know Jim. Uh, don't forget. You can hear what goes through his radio fingers, every day when you tune in to the Dan Bongino Show. Well, on the next episode of At The Mike, we're going to sit down with a conversation with my friend, Bracca. She's a writer. She's been a singer. We're going to figure out what's next in her journey when we sit down a week from today. Until then, I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review this podcast. Please do give it five stars over at Apple iTunes or Spotify. Feel free to drop us a note through the website at themikeshow.com. And don't forget, merchandise available through at atthemikeshop.com. Well, above all else, please go be free. And thank you for listening. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Head to atthemikeshow.com for archived episodes, sponsor information, and ways to connect.